Hey guys, Tony Palo here from Equipping for Life. I am here. I'm here to help you. I'm here to equip you. I'm here to coach you. I'm here to empower you. I'm here to teach you tactical tools to overcome. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast and we'll see you guys around. Title of my message tonight is Major Shift major shift and we have the back screen working it's based out of first uh, samuel chapter 16 first samuel chapter 16 verses 1 through 13 major shift the story of david everybody say shift, shift. you know what a shift really is is an earthquake every time there's an earthquake it happens from the core of the foundation of the earth and it makes its way uh to the to the to the plane of the earth and this is the this is the word of the lord let's stand Word of the Lord says, 1 Samuel 16, verses 1 through 16, 1 through 13. Now the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul? Seeing that I have rejected him from reigning over Israel, fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite. For I have provided myself a king. I love, I love the scripture. He says, he didn't say I provided a king. He says, I have provided myself a king among his sons. So he was saying to Samuel, Samuel, you had your choice. Now it's my turn to choose. All right. And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. But the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Then invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what you shall do. You shall anoint for me the one I named to you. So Samuel did what the Lord said and went to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. So it was when they came. Then he looked at Eliab and said, surely this is the Lord as anointed before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or his physical stature, for I have refused him. This is key right here. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For the Lord looks, for the man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse, Jesse made Shammah pass by and he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, are, there, are all the young men here? Then he said, there remains the youngest, and he's keeping the sheep. One version says he's Rudy. In fact, the way this is drafted in the original language in the Hebrew is very dismissive language. There's one more, but let's not pay attention to him, okay? And one version says that he was a runt. A runt of a litter, which means you're the smallest, the weakest, the most insignificant, and God said, yeah, that's the one. That's the one. Go get him. Send for him and bring him back. I love this part. We will not sit down until he comes here. And then he sent for him and brought him in. Now he was ruddy with bright eyes and good looking. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is the one. And then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed 
in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this moment, Lord. We have so many pastors here, Lord. We have preached this word for years, and every time we do so, we ask for your help. We ask for your help the same way we asked for your help the very first time we preached. And Lord, tonight, this is your word which is already blessed. I just pray that it would come forward exactly the way the Spirit of God pierced my heart with, Father. Thank you for this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. First thing to note in this passage is that Samuel goes to Bethlehem. And that's important right there because let's not, let's not dismiss the fact and skip over the fact that the significance of insignificant of Bethlehem. We always wanna we always wanna skip over the parts we deem to be insignificant. Okay? And so God sends Samuel to Bethlehem, and we know the significance to Bethlehem to find the next king and anoint him and present him as a sacrifice. But let's let's not skip over this moment here now. See, the first king was Saul, and God just allowed it. And God says, okay, just go ahead. But the problem with Saul is that it wasn't properly, it wasn't proper, proper in line with the stage of prophetic alignment that he would be in lineage to give birth to Jesus one day. Okay? This is important. Saul was not related to Jesus. David was. And we often miss a step in the God promise process. So God is saying, you could have your soul and then say, but wait, hold on a second. What you're doing does not match up with what I prophesied over the years in the Old Testament. So we're going to have to mess up your plans a bit, a, a bit over here. Okay? So God sends Samuel to Bethlehem to anoint a king that would one day release the promise for the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And we often miss this God promise process. So he says, go to Bethlehem. Go to Bethlehem? I don't know. Can we go to Jerusalem? Can we go to, I mean, can we go to Rome? I mean, we got to get, get a king. Can we go to Boston? We got to go to Providence? We got to go to North Providence? Can we go to New York City? Can we, go to, can we go to Maryland? Some of your grandmother's watching from Maryland. Can we go to D.C. to find the next king? No, I want you to go to Bethlehem. The only event that puts Bethlehem on the map is the birth of Jesus. And God is shifting thousands of years before the birth of Jesus. God is shifting things up now. Be careful. Be discerning when God wants to shift things up in your life. Everything he wants to do matches his word. And his word never returns to him void. Sometimes we live in regret because God is calling us to live in these insignificant places to experience his significant promise. This is what he says. Head to Bethlehem. Gather everyone together and make a sacrifice. Get Jesse and all of his sons. And then I will show you what to do. You are anoint. You will, you will anoint. Which the, the Hebrew says you will acknowledge the one I indicate to you. It's important now. David for a period of 10 years was anointed four times. It took 10 years. I tell you what, the first time I would have been anointed king, I would have been like, I'm ready, call me king. <laughs> but every single time he was anointed king, guess what he did? Went back to the pasture. Man, I get frustrated when God has released a promise over my life and I feel like I'm ready and he says, back to the field. But the reality is David had to know how to handle a private anointing before he's able to handle a public anointing. We want the throne, 
We want the throne. We want big stuff. We want fireworks. But God is teaching us how to handle the anointing when nobody's watching. God wants to know how you're going to handle the anointing when nobody's giving you accolades, when no, no one's giving you the title. God wants to know if you can handle the anointing to be able to rip a bear apart and rip a tiger apart. To call those things as though they're not as though they were. Head to Bethlehem to anoint the king to make a sacrifice. But one day there would be one king from Bethlehem that would be the sacrifice. The powerful connections that God makes. He says, can you trust me? He says, Samuel, he says, how long are you going to mourn for Saul? All right, you made a bad decision. When do you stop? You know, I understand we got to mourn and we got to process and we got to grieve and everything. Now, I'm a counselor. I'm concerned over my colleagues elevating and, and really elevating the process of, oh, it's trauma. Yeah, you've been traumatized. That's why you act that way. Let's focus. Let's elevate. Trauma, trauma, mourn, mourn, lament, lament. Trauma, trauma, trauma. I tell you what, my Bible doesn't say to elevate trauma. My Bible says to elevate the promises of God. And I know that we have to acknowledge trauma and we have to mourn those promises and we have to grieve those things but don't elevate the mourning process it's not a place you park and you're building equity in a time and a season that God is moving you through don't build equity he says how long are you going to cry over spilled milk it was a bad decision okay now sometimes I talk to people and they're talking to me about their soul like it happened yesterday and I'd have when did this happen 20 years ago I don't want to be a pastor without any empathy, but I'm, I'm just kind of thinking like, at what point in time do we move on? At what point in time do we say, all right, Saul was a mess. Where's David? At what point in time do we kind of just move on? The combination of God's actions and your yes creates this supernatural and generational blessing. It was prophesied that Jesus would come from the lineage of David. It was prophet. It's so clear. It's nothing that says Jesus is going to come from the lineage of Saul. So somebody should have, who knew the word, who knew the Lord, should have said, hold on a second. This is not even, this is, this is not right. The next choice must be God's choice. There was the next choice. And Samuel needed to be sensitive to the Lord to be sure. If you make the wrong choice, don't beat yourself up over it. God loves you. He forgives you, and it's time to move on. Someone say, let's move on. Let's move on. I've mourned long enough. It's time to stop wearing black, get up, dust ourselves off, and see what God has for us next. So Jesse has all his sons pass through. And Samuel's like, Lord, is it he? Is it him? No, it's not Eliab. It's not Abinadab. It's not Shema. All the sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel kind of gets discouraged because in verse 10 it says, I have not chosen these men. That is it. It's the end of the line. And one of the worst things to feel is like when you've exhausted all of your options and you're at a dead end. It's like, Lord, what do I do now? This is where, this is where David was. You got nothing left. It feels like you're trying to follow God. You've exhausted everything. And God says, no, 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 no. 
No. And this is where the major shift comes in now. Okay, because it's time for us to overcome living in regrets. We got to stop regretting. I've, I've all these stop living in regrets and begin living in the reflections of the promises of God. If you made the wrong choice, He will work everything out to get you back on track. But for all that lost time, there's a promise. Yeah. The Bible tells us that all the years the canker worm has eaten, He will restore to you. And His redemptive power will make up for your losses. That those losses are real and true, but they'll turn into a testimony. And we need to walk out this promise. So God keeps saying to Samuel, no. And he says, I just want to let you know, I see things differently than you do. Verse 7 says, for the Lord does not focus on things that man focuses on. Verse 11, he says, he asked Jesse, are these all your sons? Is, Is this it? And then Jesse said, well... This is that dismissive language, 14-year-old, red-headed, awkward. And the way it's drafted in the language, it's just like, he's just, his arms, I remember when I was 13, it, there's one picture that I'm trying to find from my mom, uh, pa- Pastor Sandra, that she has, and I told her, if she ever posted on Facebook, she, yeah, that's it. <laughs> I was sitting on the couch, and my arms reached the floor. <laughs> Come on, don't judge me, you walk, we all walk through the, that awkward stage. Some of you are still in it. We won't mention any names, and you're a grown adult. But David was completely awkward. Completely. And, and Jesse said, just one, there's one more. Fine. All right, fine. Just go get him. All right? David was not even worthy of the invitation. At times, like, I haven't been invited, but I'm included. There are times I've been dismissed by a man, but God sees me. There are times that I'm not celebrated by man, but God has invited me into his circle, and I'm in his urn. David was not even worthy. I mean, Jesse had all the sons lined up. He even called David. What does that say? David, David's like, should I come? No, nah, no, nah, you got words. Stay out of here. You're not, you're not even worthy. He was the least likely choice to be king. Easily written off of little value, insignificant. An insignificant son living in an insignificant place called Bethlehem. Does that sound familiar? God says, man, be careful. Because as insignificant as you feel, that qualifies you to be used by me. Because when you feel insignificant, man, when God performs a supernatural in your life, guess what's going to happen? You're going to turn around and give God the glory and the praise. It takes just, here's the deal. Verse 11 says this. He says, this is important now, we get this says, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. Jesse's there, the town elders, the sons, the family, leaders are all waiting. And he says, we will not sit down. Think about it. Why would Samuel not have anybody sit down? Because what do you do when a king enters into a room? Stand up. So everybody's like, what? Wait, what? What's going on? Wait, hold on a second. You ever have people in your life that are like, what, you? <laughs> Minister, you? It's like, no, come on. I know where you came from. Wait, you, 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 you that shepherd. You smell like sheep. And you smell like other stuff too, but I'm not going to say it, but you smell. You? 
And Samuel says, we're not going to sit down. How many times have you sat down for something that God was about to release on your life and you decided to sit down because you messed read a promise? How many times have you said, you know what, God? I don't know. This is not from you. I'm going to sit down and I'm going to lay down. And, I, and I've asked God, Lord, forgive me for those times where I've sat down when I should have stood up, Father. How many times? Is there a moment in your life? Maybe you sat down now. Maybe there's a season in your life right now where you, you have, you're so discouraged. This is what I felt. Uh, uh, Sister Tanya, the, the worshiper, there's someone, there's people here that came in discouraged. And you came in discouraged, so discouraged that you decided to sit down when God says, stand up. Samuel says, do not sit down until he arrives. David was a shepherd. He had the mundane responsibility of watching sheep. There is no future here. There's no promotion. You're a shepherd. You're a shepherd. There's no promotion. And I love the fact that Samuel was looking at David as if he was already king. And you know when he anointed king, when he anointed David, I could see the picture. And David was just like. And then Samuel whispered in David's ear and said, you're the next king. Which Samuel, which Saul is still king. How, that's not, that can't be possible. In fact, if, they, if Saul knows what's happening right there at that moment, David could be executed. So God is seeing things now in a way that's completely different how we see things. Now, if you remember the story in 1 Samuel chapter 16, a little later on, Saul asked for a musician. And they say, you know what? You should choose that kid, David. They don't say anything about his music abilities. What do they say? He is a brave man and a warrior. David's never fought a giant, never fought a battle. He has not killed anything, let alone a, a wolf or a squirrel. But yet they are calling him a brave man and a warrior. And this is so important that we grasp is that God sees you not as you are. God sees you for what you're going to do for the kingdom. Yeah. I'm just looking for a flute player. I don't need a brave man and a warrior. Don't sit down. Keep your places. Samuel began treating David as if, as if he were already king. To overcome regret. To experience this major shift. Because I got to tell you, I'm, pastors, you guys, and I know you feel this. Like Sometimes we get discouraged. And, 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 and if, you, if you're here tonight and your pastor's here, if your pastor's home, you should be praying for your pastor every day. You should be praying for your pastor every day. Every day. Sometimes we hit that moment where it's like, God, I don't know. I, I, don't, know, I don't know what to do. But when we get to that place, we surrender our lives to a place of trust. We surrender our lives to a place of courage. We surrender our lives to a place of obedience. You put yourself out there and say, God, I am done mourning over my past decisions. God decisions. So what Saul does is that what Samuel does, is this is a behavior of someone with faith. This is a behavior who acknowledges a process before they see the promise. This is a person who calls those things which are not as though they were. So think about the times. I think about the times that I sat down when I should have stayed standing. And if you're tempted, if you're tempted to sit, don't quit, pastor. Don't resign. Come on, that's for somebody. Oh, Jesus. God, God, listen, if you leave, I'm, I'm staying. I don't know where you're going, 
You're packing. Where are you going? Don't resign. Whew, Jesus, don't do it. Don't do it. I would do something else. No, like what? I always say, if I wasn't pastoring, I'd love to work at Home Depot. <laughs> But God has not called me to work at Home Depot, Apostles Perry. You know what I'm saying? God has called me to pastor. And I got to tell you, every once in a while, I want to sit down. Every once in a while, I just want to do something else. Every once in a while, I just want to, can I, can I talk to you like this? I'm going to talk to the pastors. because don't, don't you ever get the feeling like, you know what, I think it's time for me to quit. It's like, this is too hard. I can't do this. I just want to sit. I've been standing for a long time. Like, I, I, I don't know, I'm, I'm, can I do something that's easier? <laughs> and every time I talk to my mom, my mom's like, sometimes you have to say no. I'm like, mom, I'm the boss. Who do I say no to? <laughs> you can't do everything. Mom, I, I, just be a good mom. You stand. We live our lives by the promises of God. His promises are yes and amen. His promises never, his word never returns void. You are about to acknowledge something that you've been waiting for. Something powerful is about to be released in your life. You are about to recognize David as king even before he's pronounced as king. You can sit when God is about to deliver a promise, sitting means there's no promise. Sitting means there's no king. Sitting means there's a, no, no miracle that has been concluded. You may have sat already. You cannot sit while, until the promises arrive in your life. This is the word of the Lord here. Maybe you're in a position in your, in your life where you feel like, all right, God, where do we go from here? What happens now when my belief system, when my experience contradicts the revelation of his word? Because I have a belief system. I know whom I believe, Paul says. And I'm persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. I believe. But what happens when my experiences don't match up with the supernatural? Don't, don't sit down. Don't, don't sit down. You've got nothing to lose when you can put your trust in the almighty God. And Samuel whispered in little David's ear. Says, you're the next king. David says, okay. I probably has no idea what's going on. Goes back out into the field. Lord, I'm not going to sit. Lord, I believe and you said that you were going to do. I believe in the promise. I believe in the position of the promise. I, I'm comfortable with pressure. I'm comfortable with the mundane. I'm comfortable with the obscure. I'm comfortable even when there seems to be nothing happening, Father. I am comfortable with that. And maybe you feel like you're stuck in the middle of the desert. And you're praying for deliverance. And God's like, no, I need you there. You need to learn a lesson. <laughs> You ever pray for, for deliverance and God's like, mm, I brought you there. Uh, deliver me from. And he's like, um, I'm going to deliver you through. And I say, God, I prefer from. And God says, no, what you need to learn is going to be through. Yea, though I walk Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. So we need to stop building equity during those anonymous seasons of our lives. We need to stop building equity during the obscure season of our lives. When God stamps his promise on your life, it changes you. 
It changes your heart. When God stamps his image on your life, it changes the way you see things. It changes the way you process. People say, oh, COVID was a nightmare for the church. I'm like, COVID brought the church to a position where we should have been. It forgot the fact that, you know, we don't need a building. It pushed us out into the streets. And then lastly, he says, verse 1. I want to remind you, he says, listen, man, before we move on from this position, I got to ask you this question. How long are you going to mourn over Saul? And that word mourn in the Hebrew is lament. Just stay there. Just park yourself there. You're not in the promises of God. In fact, the devil don't want you to backslide. He just wants you to stay depressed. Stay dark. Stay negative. Your process of mourning, your process of today's mourning is in conflict with the promises of tomorrow. Don't sit down. Stop focusing on the decisions that you've made. How long will you mourn for Saul? And and I tell you what, any decisions that you make outside of the will of God is trauma. Can we recharacterize and redefine what trauma is? There's nothing worse than trauma that hits the soul. But I'm so grateful for the promises of God that we could say the years the canker worm has eaten, God could make it as if it never happened. God says, I've chosen to forget those things. I've made a decision. David was given a title based on what he was going to do. What happens when your experience contradicts your revelation? My friend, you stay standing. How many times have you been caught? Have you felt trapped? You're not stuck. You're faithful. You're not stuck. You're just being fine-tuned with the Spirit of the Lord. How do we get over this? How do we get over the fact that, you know, we've made so many bad decisions? How do we get over those things? God, when God brings healing to your life, He turns your past into a testimony. And this is what we're talking about today with Apostle Sherrod and Marquise. And we're celebrating this man of God and woman of God. And I want to make this clear. My wife and I, we celebrate pastors and their ministry. But more important than that, we celebrate their families. Because if you can build a church and your family falls apart, your ministry has failed. And my mentor said this to me years ago. When the church is doing well, take a step back and take your wife on a date. When your church is thriving, take a step back and go on a three-day vacation. (laughs) So today we celebrate you, Pastor Sherrod. Today we celebrate you, First Lady Marquise. But more important today, we celebrate your family.